the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program today. It's Wednesday, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is a show, as you know by now, dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, um, pretty much anything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210 Three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, where you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Everything else is hands-free. Um, tonight, here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be teaching um, probably the most significant uh, chapter on prophecy in terms of the specificity of it. Uh, it's very detailed and... Um, um, if you're not interested in history, you probably won't be thrilled. But, oh, what a testament to the Word of God. And and um, it's just fascinating to me. So that's tonight here. I'm going to do the first 35 verses. I'm going to try to get all 35 verses in chapter 11. And then we'll pick up in chapter 11 next time. And then uh, tomorrow, of course, Paula will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of the program. I know she's got something interesting to talk about. I'm not sure what it is yet, but it's always interesting. And we would love to have your participation in that as well. When I signed on, I said, welcome back to the program. You know, I just want to thank all of you for tuning into the show. Now, we don't make any money on this show. Uh, we actually pay to put the show on. But it is uh, a, a real blessing that people actually take the time to tune in every day and listen. And uh, I just want to thank you for it. You know, every day, uh, four o'clock, uh, you're here, I'm here. And uh, I, I think the Lord is pleased. So thank you very much for tuning in. Let's go to some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. Uh, the first one, I knew I was going to get a question about this. This one is anonymous. Hi, Pastor. I'm not sure if you heard, but Cornerstone Church is under scrutiny for chanting, let's grow, let's go Brandon, meaning it and what it, what it means. I must admit, I have voted towards the conservative side in the past and not really a fan of President Biden, but I found this to be thoughtless and distasteful for this to happen in the church. Let me, let me rephrase that. It, it happened in a church. I believe Jesus is looking down at Cornerstone with righteous anger and with a sad heart. What are your thoughts on this situation? Is it okay for churches to speak about politics? Uh, Anonymous, let me start at the end. Um, I don't think politics is what churches are supposed to talk about. Now, admittedly, there are a lot of people that disagree. 
but our job is to equip the saints, and this is right out of Ephesians chapter 4. Our job in church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Our job is to teach the word. Our job is to make sure that the, the, the people who come to church, the Christians, are looking for a heavenly kingdom and not trying to establish an earthly kingdom. You know, the idea that we can have heaven on earth is so contrary to everything the Bible teaches. So I think that churches and pastors who are um, preaching to the conservative choir and reinforcing a political perspective are missing the, the boat. And I think um, in exchange, uh, in addition rather to that, I think that they're failing in equipping their people to deal with the world that we know is going to get worse. I mean, think about it. If you tied your church bandwagon to Donald Trump, and basically church would be a pep rally for Donald Trump. What do you say to your church when he loses? Where's the hope? And I think there's just too many people who are looking for the return of Trump instead of looking for the return of Jesus Christ. And I mentioned that last week, and that's basically what happened uh, when we went to a pastor's conference, one of the pastors of a big church in Philadelphia said, said the, the thing that saddens him the most is that in his church, more people are excited about the return of Trump than they are about the return of Jesus. That's what happens with political preaching. And we leave people without hope and we leave them ill-equipped to deal with the word that's falling. Now, regarding Cornerstone Church, uh, I, I want to be fair. I'm not a fan of Cornerstone Church. I'm not a fan because uh, a lot of what they teach is false. Uh, it's a prosperity gospel. Um, um, again, he's preaching to his conservative choir much of the time. Uh, but the whole idea, name it and claim it and just believe it enough and they can shout and they can scream and they can spit. Uh, the, the, the problem is it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to be fair to them, having said that, uh, this was not a church function. Evidently, they either rented out or lent their facility to a political group. Uh, and uh, I saw a huge crowd in there. I'm sure a lot of those people went to Cornerstone Church, and I'm sure that it was promoted inside the church. Uh, but what happened in that church was disgraceful. Uh, it broke my heart. Uh to, to have Christians, and you can you can say, let's go, Brandon, uh, but you're showing disrespect and violation of Romans chapter 13. You are using um, uh, a euphemism for foul language when our speech is supposed to be honoring to the Lord. And uh, I think it was about as bad a thing as I've seen. Not only that, but, but we've allowed the church to become a laughing stock in media, um, people that are not believers, people that are the object of our ministry. I think one of the things, Anonymous, that we need to remember is that they're not the enemy of our gospel. They're the object of our gospel. And when we do things like this, what we've done is we've allowed unbelievers to ridicule and to mock the Church of Jesus Christ, and we've sent a, a, a wrong message about who we are and who we are for. That's really important. Our witness matters a great deal. In the first century church, one of the strengths was the love that Christians had for one another. And in Acts chapter 2, it says, and they gained the favor of all the people, not just the believers, but they gained the favor of all the people. Because what they were doing was uh, was a commitment by faith to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They were interested in loving one another. They were interested in denying self for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they gained the favor of all the people. When we allow ourselves to get caught up in things like this, we are isolating a whole bunch of people, half of the people in this nation, away from the message that can save their lives. So I, I, I'm, I'm ashamed of it. I was embarrassed by it. Uh, and yet, sadly, in a lot of churches, including Cornerstone, uh, that's the message that's preached a whole bunch. And because it is 
uh, what they're doing is they're attracting people who are coming to church to hear what they want to hear instead of attracting people to hear what they need to hear. That's really, really important. And I think, Anonymous, we've forgotten what the church is supposed to be and what the church is supposed to do and who the church is supposed to emulate. Um, I'm not a fan of President Biden's politics. Um, and yet Jesus loves him. And our job is to pray for him. And every one of those people, most of whom would identify as Christians, who are shouting, let's go, Brandon, I'm willing to bet that those are people that are not even invested in prayer for our president. We're not doing a very good job, anonymous, of representing Jesus Christ. So I hope that makes sense to you. I agree with your sentiments completely. Here is a question this time from Matthew from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. I hope you're having a great day. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, My wife and I recently finished the book of Acts in our marital Bible study, and I just love chapter 27 regarding the storms and shipwrecks. Can you give us some deeper insights and exhortation on these two subchapters? What are the differences from storms and shipwrecks in our respective lives? Thank you. Uh, Matthew, uh, let let me first of all say, God bless you for doing a Bible study with your wife. God bless you. That's the place where God knits your hearts together in a supernatural way. That's the place where the Holy Spirit can bring you to a, to a position of unity so that you can walk together committing your marriage to the Lord. So God bless you for doing that. And I think, uh, Matthew, um, God is truly pleased and he's going to bless Uh, your efforts. The Holy Spirit is going to do something really, really special uh, in your marriage. Uh, Now, one one quick thing for the rest of the audience. I talk about this at our church a lot. Um, The the Bible study or the reading of Scripture between a husband and wife does not replace our need for individual Bible study. The wife still needs to open the Bible on her own, and the husband still needs to open the Bible on his own. Um, it's a living, active Word of God, and it will speak to you. But when a husband and a wife does it together, then in no other way are our hearts able to be united together supernaturally, and that's exactly what happens. Now, I'm uh, in love with chapters 27, 28 of the book of Acts as well. Matthew, uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard me say this, but I recommend to everybody in the church that they read both the book of Acts and the book of Revelation twice a year. That's how important these books are. And the book of Acts, you know, it doesn't really end. Chapter 28 just sort of has a period at the end of a sentence, but the story is untold, and we're still writing the rest of the story because the book of Acts deals with the the acts of the Holy Spirit in the church age. And and we're still writing the book. Now, obviously, there's not going to be another Bible but you, you understand what I mean. Now, the storms. Now, let me summarize these two chapters for you. Uh, chapters 27, the storms. The most important line in that is when Paul is saying to the people that uh, an angel of the Lord that he serves appeared to him and, and assured him that, that the boat will be wrecked, but everybody will be saved, but they've got to stay on board. In other words, the boat was their haven. Uh, Too many Christians in times of difficulty, in times of fear, they desert the ship. And and Paul said, no, you you must stay on the ship. And that's so valuable for us, Matthew, in the sense that, that whatever's going on in our lives, good times, bad times, terrible times, all the times in between, those are the times we got to stay on, on board. We've got to stay with Jesus. I say just be with Jesus. It's in those times, especially in the storms, when we've got to hold on more tightly than ever before. And when Paul tells them, look, you can choose to live or die, stay on the ship and live, desert the ship, which is what their instinct was uh, when things got really, really rough. Um, but, but I'm telling you, if you desert the ship, you're going to die. The same thing is true of people who profess to be Christians and yet Uh, when God doesn't meet their needs or when God doesn't do what they expect him to do or what they desire him to do, 
they, they treat him sort of like a, a friend that you can cast off. And the, the exhortation to us is always the same. Stay on the ship. It's the only way to navigate the storms of life. We know, obviously, it's the only way to navigate the problem with sin, but it's the only way to navigate the storms of life. And sometimes in those really difficult storms, those are the times when we feel the least like holding on to Jesus. Those are the times we have to hold on even more. So Matthew, that's, um, uh, the, the, I think, the important summary of Acts chapter 27. In Acts chapter 28, um, uh, I think it's a pretty straightforward story, but, but God shows off for Paul when he washes up on the island of Malta. Uh, God does a neat work. You know, it's not like they went there on vacation. Well, we've had a rough ocean trip and things are hard, so we're just going to chill out on the island. No, as soon as they got there, um, Paul did a miracle with the chief official's father. I uh, healed him. And then with Dr. Luke there, he healed all of the sick that were there. And the, the word for healing is a different word. It's, it's a word that we get our English word therapeutic from. And it means that, that as a doctor, we know Luke was a doctor. As a doctor, Luke attended to the people and their needs. And they were shown, I love the King James, no unusual kindness by the islanders. And I just think that's a great picture of our job is always to reach out to the people, never forgetting that the people are the point. My final thought on this, Matthew, and and you may know this already, but um, when um, we were looking for a name for our, our free doctor's office here at Calvary Chapel, uh, Malta Medical uh, is what the Lord gave me uh, out of Acts chapter 28 because of that incident where, where the, the, the rest of the islanders were treated by, by Luke. Um, uh, so we call it Malta Medical. Uh, additionally, the uh, free restaurant that we're in the process of planning and hope to be opening um, pretty soon, we're going to get really earnest in in dealing with it on uh, uh, the beginning of the year. Uh, but the free restaurant, we're calling unusual kindness after the same passage of Scripture where they were shown no usual kindness. And um, um, the whole purpose of both our doctor's office and the free restaurant uh, is going to be just the, 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 the ministry to the unsaved. Uh, we want to win people's hearts for Jesus Christ in these last hours. So I, I'm uh, thrilled with the book of Acts. I, I, I will be teaching it at the first opportunity again here at Calvary Chapel. I just don't know how soon that's going to be. By the way, I can remind all of you that I'm going to be teaching uh, the Gospel of Mark beginning on uh, Sunday. We, we just finished 1 Corinthians and now we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. And our very first study will be this Sunday. So be sure to either come to church or tune in at calvarysa.com. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is another anonymous question. Uh, Pastor Ron, you shared a lot about your trials when you left California to come to San Antonio. You often shared about the financial struggles you and Paula had to face. And we know that our God can provide everything we need and want. We know that there are times when he doesn't give to help build us in character. Um, when it comes to being a good steward of your finances, especially when you don't make enough money to pay all of your bills, how can we as Christians be a good steward with the money we have when it doesn't seem that we um, have enough to pay for our necessities? You shared about taking on a radio station, uh, although you didn't have money to meet your rent at the time. Uh, I've, I've got so many stories. You know, I could do um, a, a week's worth of shows on just the way this, that Paul and I saw the hand of God move in our lives. Now, to, to give a little background, um, uh, this is somebody who's obviously listened to our testimony. Um, uh, and, and by the way, the, the, my personal testimony and the testimony of Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is on our website, and it's pretty easy to find uh, at calvarysa.com if anybody's interested. Uh, but when we got here, we had nothing. 
We'd never been to Texas, and we didn't know anybody in Texas. And when I say we had nothing, uh, we left California with $2,800. That was money that the Lord provided. Um, um, I, I was doing some speaking engagements. There were people that, that um, just gave us money out of nowhere. Um, um, we, we had a yard sale, Paul and I did, and people paid silly prices for some stuff that we had. Uh, and the fact that we didn't have any money wasn't God's fault. That was my fault. I blew all of that before uh, we got before I got saved, but God still had a call on our lives, and we knew that we had to pursue that, and so it was never an issue uh, of money for us. We were going to do the work with what we had, and what we learned was that what we had was enough to do what God said before us, and I think every person, every Christian, has to learn that you have what you need now. Now, regarding being a good steward. Um, the the man or the woman that, that on paper it doesn't look like you have enough money to pay all your bills that's the person who needs to be giving to the Lord not we don't give to get I've said that so many times in this program I feel like a broken record but but that's not the reason we give that's just the benefit or the result of us giving and the way to be a good steward of the money that God has blessed you with is to realize that it all belongs to him not some of it not 90% of, of, of it is yours and 10% is his, but all of it belongs to him. And when you commit your life to Jesus Christ, what you do is you say, it's all yours, Lord. He knows what your bills are. He knows exactly uh, what's coming up in, in, in terms of your obligations. Um, God's going to let you keep most of it. But he wants you to bless him with the first fruits, just as a demonstration that you trust him. And that takes faith. And so if you don't have enough money to pay all of your obligations, um, then it's time for you to to make God um, or to be accountable to God for what you're doing with the money you have. A lot of times we just go on money. Um, you know, we do the math and say, well, it doesn't stretch. It doesn't work. I can't tell you how much God has done for us over the years. The radio program that you uh, asked about was a good example. When we first got to um, uh, San Antonio, um, I was listening to Christian radio, this station uh, and the other Christian station in the uh, in the city. And there was very little what I considered solid verse-by-verse Bible teaching. So I put together a package with four Calvary Chapel pastors and asked them if they would come on the air. Raul Reese was one of them. My pastor, David Rosales, was one of them. Uh, pastor Chuck, the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel, and Skip Heitzig uh, out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I talked to all of them, and, uh, and, and Raul was first to say, yeah, I'll do it, man. And I said, okay. And he was the first one to send actual programs, and then the others followed suit. Well, on the day Raul was supposed to uh, start, his people called us. They had a real problem in South America where they had a significant investment. And, and very apologetically, they just said, look, you, we can't do it. We've got a problem in South America. It's going to take all the resources we have and as much as we'd like to do it and help you out. We can't do it. And I said, but you already said you would. And his response was, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. And uh, the Lord spoke to my heart. It's just one of those kind of a Nehemiah flare prayer things. The Lord spoke to my heart right away. He says, well, you pay for Rawls program. And we couldn't pay our rent. We had no food. It was at that time, tell you how long ago, it was, it was like $400 a month that uh, the, the, the Rawls program was going to cost. And uh, he said, you pay for it. I said, we don't have any money. But it was clear. He said, you pay for it. And we did. And uh, God provided the extra money every month. That was a test. It was a test of mine and Paula's. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, It's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. So it's these kind of trials. What are you going to do? Are you going to just fold your tent? Are you going to trust that the Lord is going to take care of these things? And that's when our walk by faith really began. It wasn't a walk by faith to get here. We knew so clearly God wanted us to be here. And we left everything behind. But when we got here and we had nothing and he asked us to pay what we didn't have, that was a test and we passed it. Uh, and, and God has never stopped testing us in the process. So that was just one test and there have been so many others. 
Again, I could go on and on about these, but one of the things we need to remember is that we're always going to be tested every step of the way. Uh, That's why we need faith. And if we will just trust the Lord and be obedient to what he tells us to do, then we're going to learn that God's always got us. And so one thing we all need to know every day, when things don't make sense, we've got to know that God's got us. I said on the program yesterday in response to another question, it's appropriate here as well. If your heart is right with God, you don't have to be right. He will protect you. So these kinds of tests are tests that we have to pass. And as we pass those tests, God is going to take our hand. And as we walk with Jesus, we're going to walk right into a new test all the time. And every test is going to be a little bit tougher than the test before. For me and for Paula, that first test of the radio seemed impossible. That was a huge step of faith. But as our faith grows, because we've seen the hand of God move in our lives, um, even though God asks us to take much bigger steps of faith now, they're not quite as scary because God's got a pretty good track record. Anonymous, thank you very much for the question. We have 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show, 340-9585 for your calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our wednesday show 340-9585 and hey we'd love your live calls and questions here's a question from lawrence uh he says since god hardened pharaoh's heart How could he be accountable for disobeying God? Uh, Lawrence, we we need to read very carefully. If you go into the book of Exodus, you will read that Pharaoh hardened his own heart seven times. Not a coincidence, seven is the number of completion. His heart was completely hardened, and God just gave him over to his own heart. Now, consider... He knew and had advisors telling him that these judgments were from God. They couldn't do anything about it. His magicians, his wise men could do nothing about them. This is God. This is the hand of God. They begged him to let Moses and the Israelites go. And he would have a moment of reflection, say, okay, they can go. And then he would attach conditions and then he would change his mind and and, and over and over, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And finally, he got to the place where his heart was irretrievably hard. And God gave him over to it. And then that's what's meant by describing that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Some One other thing here, Lawrence. We are all accountable for disobeying God. You know, the fact that God knows what we're going to do doesn't mean that God causes what we're going to do. God knows the future. The Bible study I'm doing tonight is a fascinating picture of of the future that God knows. And and the details are overwhelming. So yeah, God knew exactly what Pharaoh was going to do, but God didn't cause Pharaoh's heart to go hard. Pharaoh made the choice. We are all accountable every day for the decisions that we make that are contrary to God's will for our lives. The same thing is true for unbelievers. They're accountable daily for denying what they know about God that is true. It's obvious to everybody. The heavens declare the glory of God day after day. They pour forth speech. There's no nation or language where they're not understood. Every man, every woman is without excuse. God gave us a conscience. We know right and wrong instinctively. That's God. That's evidence for the existence of God. Creation, sun comes up every day in the east, sets every day in the west. No matter where you are in the world, that's what happens. That's a designer. So we're all accountable 
for the choices that we make. And Lawrence, if you're being exposed to some hardcore Calvinist teaching, be really, really careful because they're going to distort this and say, well, you know, um, um, God hardened Pharaoh's heart and God can do what he wants. Pharaoh hardened his own heart seven times. You can go back, I think it's chapter 3, verse 19 uh, in the book of Exodus, where where he says, um, 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 I know that Pharaoh will not let my people go unless a mighty hand, or literally it's a heavy hand, compels him to do so. That's God knowing the future. So the decisions God made regarding Pharaoh and everybody else are made on the basis of his foreknowledge. So Lawrence, that I hope makes sense to you. Here is an anonymous question, apparently from an unbeliever. Um, He or she says, it bothers me that God would condemn people with different beliefs. How is that fair? Um, And now I'm going to go back to what I just said about Pharaoh for a moment. Um, Everybody who claims to believe in a God is accountable to God to find out if the God they believe in really is God. I mean, when somebody says, God bless you, they're accountable. When somebody quotes a Bible verse, even though they have no interest in the Bible, they're accountable. Uh, for somebody in who grew up in a Muslim country, or somebody who grew up in a Jewish uh, um, um, nation, somebody who grew up in a pagan nation, and they, they worship idols and false gods, the Bible is full of that. The fact that they recognize there is a God out there. I'll go more current. Those who go to, to, to 12-step groups and acknowledge a higher power. Now, you get to name your higher power, which is silly. But the idea is that when you acknowledge there's a God, it's the responsibility of every human being to find out if that God you believe in really is God. And it's so simple to determine that it doesn't matter what you were taught your whole life, everybody has the honest intellectual responsibility to say, okay, I believe that Allah is God. I ought to be able to prove that. And they can't. Only Christians can prove that the God that we believe in really is God, that Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So God is simply condemning people because they rejected the only solution for their sin. He's not condemning them for being a Muslim. He's not condemning them for being a a Buddhist. He's condemning them because sin separates them from God. And the real God offered a solution for sin, and none of the false gods do. So that's how it's fair. I'll tell you the thing that isn't fair is it anybody gets saved anonymous? Usually when people ask the question in the frame that you did, it's it's like you believe at heart people are basically good and you ought to give everybody a break. But remember, God is perfect. By definition, God is holy and perfect. And that means those who are going to find who God is can only do so if they too become perfect. And that's what Jesus did for us. Now, it doesn't mean that we're perfect in the way we live our lives. We try and we want to be. But what it means is that Jesus gave us his perfection. That's why him living a sinless life is one of the essentials of our historic Christian faith. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that we might become the righteousness and the perfection of God. And a Muslim has no way to be perfect. A Buddhist has no way to be perfect. A pagan has no way to be perfect. Only born-again Christians by the blood of Jesus Christ. So be a little fairer yourself and look at the evidence. When you've got these questions that are really sort of emotion-based, open the Bible. Find the answers. Don't just complain that you don't think it's fair, but find out the answers. Find out the reasons why this is true. And when you do that, what will happen is you will develop a, a, an inner gratitude to God for giving anybody the opportunity to go to heaven. You know, Lawrence, the one thing that um, um, I'm still in awe of, I, I'm sorry, this isn't Lawrence's question, 
But the one thing that I'm still in awe of is that I'm going to go to heaven. I'm still so grateful for it. I don't deserve heaven. And real Christians understand that we don't deserve heaven, that it's a free gift. And I want you to have that gift. 340-9585. Jennifer has a question. A couple of pastors in my church do not believe the Bible is inerrant or infallible. Should I leave that church, Jennifer, as fast as you possibly can? Yes, yes, yes. To be in a church where the leaders, the shepherds of God's people, don't believe in his word is a recipe for disaster. And you're in a church that um, has heretical doctrine. Uh, you're in a church that is no telling what direction they're, they're going to be going. Um, but, but you deserve better. You need to be in a place where uh, you're confident that the word of God is the final authority on matters of practice and doctrine. And um, it's the guideline to which we live our lives. And if somebody says, well, I don't believe it's infallible, there's errors, um, then then basically what they're doing is they're tearing pages out of the Bible that they don't like. And then what they'll do is they'll end up accepting um, sinful lifestyles, sexually immoral lifestyles, gay marriage, all those other things, because that's what the world that we live in does. And we've got to be committed to the Word of God. So, Jennifer, please leave that church. Find a church, and there's plenty of them that teach the Bible and believe in it because the world that we're inheriting now, the world that we're entering into, um, we need the anchor for our soul. And it is the word, uh, the, the, the word, the word, the word. That's the anchor that we have. Thank you. Here is an anonymous question. My question is about adoption. By the way, on Friday, before I get to the rest of this question, on Friday, I'm going to have uh, two beautiful ladies in uh, on the program. Um, we're going to talk about adoption, fostering and adoption. Uh, one of those ladies is a, 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 like a daughter of mine in the church for many, many years. And her and her family have uh, adopted, uh, fostered, and, and then adopted children. Um, and, and when I look at the way those kids' lives have been saved, literally saved, um, what, a, what a blessing it is, not only to the Lord, but to the body of Christ. And we're going to talk about the need. We're going to talk about the, the, the ongoing tragedy that's going on. So that's this coming Friday. And uh, if you have an interest uh, or questions about it, uh, please sort of hang in with us and give us a call on that day. Okay, Anonymous, my question is about adoption. With so many foster children aging out of the system, don't you think gay couples would be okay to adopt them? Uh, the answer is no. Um, um, we, we don't expose children to sexually immoral lifestyles uh, and, and, and put them in homes where that's considered normal or 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 good um, this is an easy question for Christians it's easy to say in the, in the natural well that's better uh, at least they have a home um, it's not better it's not better we have a responsibility when we put ourselves in a position of caring for children we got we have the responsibility to make sure that we're rightly representing God to them and gay couples are misrepresenting the Lord to them, uh, disregarding the Lord. Um, they're, they're unbelievers. And as a result of that, um, they're, they're leading children. Jesus talked about um, the, the, the woes for anyone that leads one of his little ones astray. And um, we can't put people in that position. So it's never okay to put the care of a child in the hands of, of an enemy of God, period. Um, I think we need to have an eternal perspective rather than just a temporal perspective. Well, at least they'd be in a safe home. It's not safe if they're going to be raised in a home that's going to tell them that God is okay with that kind of corruption. So the answer is no, it's not okay. Uh, that might be a good question for you to pursue when our guest is here as well on Friday. Thank you for the question. 
Kenneth wants to know, will I see God instantly when I die? Kenneth, you will see Jesus instantly when you die. Uh, when you take your last breath in this world, you will instantly be in the presence of the Lord. Now, you'll see, you'll be in the presence of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And, and because of your translation with your physical body, uh, you will be in the presence of the Lord, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, the, the, the face you're going to be able to look into is Jesus. The Father is a spirit. He doesn't have a face. Uh, the Holy Spirit obviously is a spirit. He, too, doesn't have physicality. But we'll have, um, um, in the presence of Jesus, uh, we will see God, who lives in unapproachable light for the very first time. And it happens in an instant. To be absent from the body, Second Corinthians says, to be present with the Lord. You can read about Paul's trip in Second Corinthians chapter 12, his trip to heaven, where he saw um, um, unspeakable things, things that man's not permitted to tell. Um, you can go to Revelation chapter 1, beginning, I think, at about verse 12, and, and see the description of Jesus. That's exactly who you'll see. So, Kenneth, I don't know if you are ill or if this just is a theological question, but here's what I can tell you for sure. Um, the moment you take your last breath in this body, you will be instantly ushered in the presence of the Lord in your new body. And you will be thrilled beyond anything that you can imagine. And it happens in an instant. And your body will be like Jesus' physical glorified resurrected body. Paul said to, to, to die is better by far. Why, he'd been to heaven and he knew the answers. So Kenneth, thank you for the question. Hope that is encouraging to you. Carla says, Oh, this is a tough one. How should we grieve the death of a loved one who wasn't saved? Um, Carla, there's no, there's no one answer to this. We grieve differently, all of us. Um, we, we don't grieve like people with no hope. But we grieve for people who died without hope, for sure. And especially if it's somebody's family, a husband, a wife, a child, parent. Um, we grieve. Um, Carla, let me, I, I want to personalize this a little bit. I, I have a mother. I was raised in a home with a father and a mother. Uh, my dad wasn't a good guy at all. My mother was salt of the earth. Um, my dad got saved on his deathbed at 84. He's going to be in heaven. My mom, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I wish I, I wish I knew. I wish I was sure. But there was never any. And, and she died just before I got saved. But there's, there's no indication that she became a born-again believer, that she trusted Jesus Christ and asked for her sins to be forgiven. Uh, and that is a, a source of grief for me. But I think one of the things that we have to be able to do is rely on the faithfulness of God, the character of God, the justice of God. God is looking to save people. He's not looking to condemn people. Isaiah 28 says that judgment is a strange work to the Lord. So the way I've dealt with it over all these years and the way I counsel others to, to deal with it is we've got to rest in the fairness of God. He's proven he's just. He's proven he's fair. He's proven that he chases people to the ends of the earth. He does everything he can short of forcing them to believe. And I think we have to take our comfort, whatever comfort there is, from the fact that his heart breaks more than ours. And he did everything possible in order to, to win their hearts before they died. And I think walking with Jesus, you know, when Jesus walked to the tomb of Lazarus, he wept. He looked out over Jerusalem and he wept. His heart was broken continually. And I think our hearts are going to be broken continually. I think one of the other things that we can do, Carla, when we lose a loved one who isn't saved, is we can purpose in our hearts all the more to be more active in sharing our faith with family members, friends, but, but also people we don't know. 
I think when heaven gets really close, you know, when somebody loses a child and they keep saying, well, well, I want to go to heaven. I understand that. But it also makes hell more real. When we've lost somebody that we care deeply about, then we want to do what we can to spare other people that pain. So we tell people about Jesus. So that's the one, I think, Carla, that that uh, as our source of comfort. And Jesus, uh, he'll be there to comfort you. Let me very briefly uh, share a story with you. A friend of mine, uh, his 16-year-old son committed suicide. Um, uh, he, he was a pastor. His 16-year-old son committed suicide. And he, he it, it wrecked his life, obviously. He was inconsolable. And he said one day at the cemetery, uh, and he would go every day, and he would just cry his eyes out. And, and he, he, he said he bore some responsibility for the boy's death. I don't know that that's the case or not, but that's what he said. And he said one day, he was sitting on the ground uh, by his son's tomb, and he just knew Jesus was there. And as he began to cry, Jesus put his arm around him and just sat there and cried with him. He's the source of comfort. So yeah, we grieve. We also rest in the goodness of God. Carl, I'm sorry for your loss. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Britt asks, uh, Pastor, what is your favorite Bible character study? Um, that's like asking which of your children you love more. <laughs> uh, but but I think the, the, the one I enjoy teaching the most is Naaman in the Old Testament. Uh, I, I, I absolutely love the story, 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, uh, Naaman is so practical for all of us. He's a, a man who had a secret but his wife knew the secret. And that means his wife's servant, a Jewish girl that was captured in a battle, also knew the secret. Sometimes we think that our secrets are hidden from everybody, but our secrets are never really hidden from everyone. Naaman was this valiant warrior, and uh, boy, Naaman was a big shot whenever Naaman went into town. Everybody stood and pointed, there's Naaman, there's Naaman. He was a general and a fierce general, had a reputation. And his wife's servant girl said, well, there's a man of God in Israel who will heal him. And so Naaman went to him. And when he knocked on the door, Naaman, who was used to getting the big shot treatment, Naaman, when he walked in the front door, or knocked on the front door, um, Elisha had sent his servant. Just tell him, go down the Jordan River and dip seven times, you'll be healed. And he was mad because the prophet himself didn't come down. We got better rivers in Damascus, in Syria, than, than, than the rivers here. This is a dirty river. Now remember, when Naaman was in, there would have been a crowd around him. His own entourage other people, when Jews found out he was in town, they would have wanted to know. And I always imagine myself walking down with Naaman to the edge of the River Jordan, angry because, well, people usually treat me better than this. I get more respect. But to go dip in the River Jordan, he's got to take his clothes off. Now, in Bible times, he would have been covered from head to toe. Had to unwrap his turban, his face... Uh, would be covered for, from dust. But from head to toe, he would be completely covered. He would then take off those clothes. And at some point, he would have gotten to the place where he took off his clothes, and it would have been clear that he was a leper. The Jews would have instantly started yelling, unclean, unclean, and Naaman was angry. And because he was angry, he was about to give up. But he went into the river once, didn't see any kind of improvement, was ready to quit. 
His servant said, well, if, if the prophet would have asked you to do some great thing, you'd have done it. So he asked you to do this little thing. Just do it. And reluctantly went in the second time and reluctantly the third time, the fourth time even more so. And he would have looked at his spots wherever they were and, and think, this isn't getting better. This is silly. And he would be ready to quit. But he had a servant there. And finally he got to the seventh time. And by that time, with all of the people calling out unclean. He had no more pride left. He was completely humiliated. At this point, he had nothing to lose. And so he goes into the water, and he comes out, and his skin is like that of a newborn baby. That's the the Hebrew description of the word. And he was healed. And, by the way, he was saved. So it it deals with... uh, Naaman's Bible study deals with pride, which is a problem that we all deal with. It's sort of the sin behind all other sins. It was a sin that caused Lucifer to fall. Uh, it, it was. It's, it's just the foundational sin. And Naaman's study deals with that very, very clearly and carefully. So, Britt, that's my favorite Bible character, and I get the opportunity to share that story um, quite often Um when I when I go out and travel, I, I just love that story. Now there, are, like I said, there there are so many other stories that I love and character studies, and there are just too many to name. But um, I think that's one that is really near and dear to my heart. So, Britt, thank you very much for the question. Well, we are about out of time for the program uh, tonight. I'll be teaching the first thirty-five verses of Daniel chapter 11. Please pray for me. A lot of detail. And um, tomorrow, beautiful Paula will be live in studio on the date day edition of the program. Hey, thanks for tuning in. My name is Ron Arbaugh, pastor of Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, Texas. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.